0: Lord, we ask you to bless this time as we open your word. We ask you to guide, lead us. Help us to understand what you are talking about in this. And we thank you in Jesus' name. Amen. Luke, chapter 14, verse 1. And it came to pass, as he went into the house of one of the chief Pharisees to eat bread on the Sabbath day, that they watched him. And behold, there was a certain man before him which had droopsy. And Jesus answered, answering, spoken to the lawyers and the Pharisees, saying, Is it lawful to heal on the Sabbath day? And they held their peace, and he looked, took him and healed him and let him go. And he answered them, saying, Which of you shall have a donkey or an ox fall into a pit and will not straightway pull him out on the Sabbath day? And they could not answer him again to these things. So here we're looking at Jesus a Irritating the establishment like he likes to do, all right? Um, Part of this was there was a legitimate problem with what can you do on the Sabbath day, all right? There is a commandment that thou shalt not, thou shalt honor the Sabbath day and do no work upon the Sabbath day. Now, the question really came down to the Jewish people as to what is work, Now, the Jews over the centuries and millennia have really developed a whole long list of what work is. They have broken the idea of work into 39 different categories. Which, I mean, I have not put that much effort into trying to figure out what work is. Uh, But they they have spent their entire life trying to figure out what is work. And they actually had a rule that said that you could save a life on on the Sabbath day, and that wasn't work. Even if you had to work to be able to save their life, you weren't working on the Sabbath if you were saving a life. And that would work into what level, and this is what Jesus is saying here, what level of work are you looking at? And it's kind of bizarre. I mean, I don't know how many of you have ever had a Jewish friend or anything. I went to a Jewish friend's house one time. It was a Friday evening right before I had to leave. And they're running all through the house, opening cabinets, turning on the oven so that it, they wouldn't have to turn it on. And opening doors so they wouldn't have to work to open doors. And I'm thinking, boy, this would be so much fun to just close everything up and, and leave. Uh, yeah, I was a nice guy back then. <laughs> uh, but they were doing everything they could so they wouldn't have to work on Sabbath. And they have built these rules about what was work. And they started making this the most important legal activity that they could do. And if we read the scriptures, the Sabbath is a sign between God and the Jewish people. He said, this is the sign that I've given to you. During the Middle Ages and beyond, the Jews were looked at very lazy people. In the Middle Ages, people worked seven days a week, and the Jews took a vacation every week. A one-day vacation every week, and the people were looking at them, you guys are just a bunch of lazy people. Now we're getting to the place where people want three, four days off a week and get paid for full-time work. You know, so we're kind of really going way back way too far the other direction. But God told them to not work. How serious was God about this not working business? Well, in Deuteronomy 5, 12 through 15 is our command. In Exodus 31, 13, the command was that there that you were to be put to death if you defiled the Sabbath day. So that leads us to the question of what did it mean to defile the Sabbath day? And that is again why they put this real heavy look into what did it mean to work. They had it down to you could only lift certain amounts of weight. And I don't remember what the weight is, but if you crossed a certain amount of weight, you were working. So you could pick up your pen and you could and, and hold your pen because it's only a couple of ounces. But you couldn't write with your pen because that was creating something new. So you could carry your pen around all day, but you couldn't do anything with your pen, all right? Uh, You couldn't pick up a brick because that crossed the line of of work. Uh, You could could warm your food up, but you couldn't work, you couldn't create new food that day. So you had to make everything before sunset and then put it in the oven so that by the time you got to Sunday, Saturday, uh, midday Saturday, it was pretty dried out. So they liked lots of soups and stuff because they would just put them on the back burner and keep them warm. Uh, and you know there's a whole set of recipes and everything that the women would make for sabbath because they had to be something that they could not work and it had to be able to withhold being made friday afternoon before before sunset and be eaten sometime during the day so they did lots of sandwiches lots of soups uh, because everything would be made ahead of time this is how strict they were uh, you didn't you didn't plow your fields you didn't you know but and as Jesus was pointing out, most of them, I'm sure, fed their, fed their animals. The animals wanted to be fed, whether it was, whether it was Sabbath or not, and you know, put lots of hay out for them to, to eat. You know, so there was all these things that, went, that happened. They were told that they could put out a fire, but they couldn't start a fire. Uh, you know, we think, you know, how hard would this be? But how many silly rules do we put upon ourselves for legalism? You know, I encourage us to read the Bible. Do I want it to become a legalistic thing? I have to read my Bible. No matter what, I've got to read my Bible. Well, if that's why you're reading the Bible, don't read the Bible. I and mean, the Bible is good to read. It is very valuable to read, and I think you should read your Bible. And to get the habit, you might have to say, I've got to read my Bible. But if you're uh, six months to a year into it, and you're still having to say, I've got to read my Bible, and not wanting to read your Bible, then you need to be talking to God about your attitude toward, toward his word. You know, come come Sunday morning, I really do believe that we should be in church. I believe it so much it doesn't matter where I'm at, I'm in church. Even when I'm on vacation or a trip, I will be in church somewhere. I, usually I just go, God get, take me to a good church, and he usually like, takes me to a good church. And It doesn't matter, am I legalistic about it? No, I just want to be with God's people on Sunday morning. It's not, it's not something I feel like I'm going to go to hell if I miss miss a Sunday morning, but I think it's important, we need to be with family. We need to be with one another. Um, And just as a side note, in today's world, I do not believe that video, television, and and computer church is church. There is no accountability for it. It is wonderful, it's a great way to get training and education, but it is not the same thing as being with the body of Christ and being ministered to by the body. And it's very important. Uh, Hebrews tells us to forsake not the assembling of ourselves together and so much more as we see the day approaching. And I'm thinking, did, did the writer of Hebrews know that there was gonna come a day when people were gonna to wanna to watch, watch church service instead of go? You know, it's kinda of strange when I'm starting to look at what's going on today and then I hear all these big name people so happy that they've got video church and they've got thousands and thousands of people in their video church and I'm going, you guys should know better. Now, if you have no other option but video church, you're you're locked up in home, uh, go take advantage of it. It's better than nothing. But if you're able to get out and be with people, it's important. You know, if you get sick and you're on video church, who knows you're missing? Nobody. If you're sick and missing from church, hopefully somebody in church notices that you're missing. Now, our church is so, so big, I I can never know when somebody's missing. (laughs) So, and everybody's laughing, you know. Uh, and, you know. I know I'm acutely aware when somebody's missing. The seat is empty, as it as it tells us in, you know, uh, Jonathan told David, David, your seat will be missed when if you're not going to be here in the royal royal palace. And you know, and how many of us, even if you're in a big church, people tend to sit in the same spots, you know, and so that you know who's missing, and and able to see that somebody is missing. And we need to be able to look at this whole idea of why do we do things? Why do we come to church? Why do we read our Bibles? Why do we pray? Is it just a ritualistic requirement that I'm trying to please God, or is it my desire of say, God, I just love you so much, I want to minister to you, I want to love you back? You know? And we see it in, it in families. Sometimes families are just obedient to their parents because they're, so, they're totally afraid that they're going to be beaten if they don't, don't obey. And there's probably some good in that is because the children need to learn to be obedient. But if that's the only reason they're obeying, as soon as they're out of those parents, they're not going to be obedient to things. They must have a desire that I want to be obedient. I want to please. I want to have a good family name. And for me, most of my experience with God is I want a good family name for Christ. I don't want to be the black sheep of Jesus' family. You know, this is, this is my son. Uh, I don't know if I want to claim him as my son because they've been in trouble all the time, but this is my son or my daughter. <laughs> I want to be that one that says, this, this is my son. This one, this, this is my son. Look at my son. And I hope that's our attitude for everybody here. That we want to be that one that he can say, "Well done." Be proud to say, "This is my child." They represent me, not, not perfectly, because none of us can represent him perfectly. But this child represents me. They are a picture of who I am. And we've all had this experience, probably, you know, that we know families by who, how their children act. We know what who belongs to what family because they are like their parents. Our goal as Christians is to be like our father. Uh, so that people can go, oh, yes, I recognize God in you. I see God in you. So we're going back here to Jesus. Says He's going in on a Sabbath day. He has been invited to the house of one of the lead Pharisees. Now, I'm not sure how he got that invitation to the house of the lead Pharisees because they don't like him anyway. But it sounds like they set him up when we read this story. Come, and have the, come, to, our, come to my house for lunch this Sabbath after, after, after service. And this still happens in Jewish families and in Jewish synagogues. This still happens after they have their, their service in the morning. They get together and they have a lunch. Oftentimes it's in the synagogue, in a a back room, just like we do at the end of the month. They meet together, and they would have bread, have uh, have a meal together. In Jesus' day, they would go and and go to the nearby house, and they'd all gather and and gather up in big groups. And Jesus was invited to this house, and it says in verse 1, And they watched him. Now, this is kind of an interesting word because in English, it doesn't sound as bad as it does in Greek. In Greek, it says they were gazing intently at him, waiting for him to make a mistake. Have you ever had anybody looking at you that way? Have you ever looked at anybody that way? Don't raise your hands. (laughs) Watching somebody. Are they going to make a mistake? What are they going to do in this situation? This is what Jesus was set up on this one to see what he was going to do. They were gazing at him to say, this is the Sabbath day. We know that he likes to heal people. We know that he's going to do some work today. And we're ready to get him. This is a very interesting point point in time for Jesus because he is in this room, he's ready to eat, probably even given one of the main places in the the room. He's an honored guest, you know, quote unquote. And it says, in comes this man with droopsy. Now droopsy is such an old word that every time I look at it, I have to I have to go look up what droopsy is. And because I forget because we don't ever use that word. It is edema. Somebody with swollen ankles and feet so bad that it apparently so bad that he could not walk and for the people who've suffered from edema you know how bad it can get you I've seen people whose legs have, swall- have swollen up so much they look like Popeye their legs have you know pop, popped out. I have a feeling he, this man was suffering greatly with edema otherwise Jesus would not have done anything for him on, a, on the Sabbath but he's coming in legs swollen maybe even other parts of his body swollen because edema can affect every part of your body. And I believe this man was extreme in his in it. I can't prove that because it doesn't say that, but I would think that Jesus' compassion was on him. Here's a man who's greatly suffering. And Jesus looks to the people and he asks a simple question. Is it lawful to heal on the Sabbath? Now, you've got to picture this in the group that he's in he is in the group of Pharisees who are all about the law and there's some scribes there which are lawyers you want to cause controversy in a group of that are lawyers and everything ask them a question about the law you'll get you'll get so many opinions and so much controversy and if they interesting is they said nothing they knew what they had done and they also understood Jesus's question because they had a little niche marked into the, the laws of God that you could go and heal, you could go help. You know, and this is why Jesus said, if one of you had your ox or your donkey fall into a ditch, you weren't going to just sit there, okay, donkey, you have to wait for, wait for uh, 20 hours until the sun sets before I can rescue you. He goes, you'd go in and you would rescue that animal, you'd heal that animal. So Jesus is setting them up and saying, what is your answer? How many times does God do that to us? What is your answer in a situation? There are times when we do things and we've made things so important that aren't biblical, but we make them important to us. And I hope we don't do a lot of that in this church. I'm sure there's some area where we've done it. But there are some churches where they make rules that you have to obey. You know, you've got to obey these rules or else. Sixties uh, generation, don't drink, don't dance, don't go to movies, don't play cards, uh, don't play dice because you can gamble with cards and dice. Uh, men make sure your hair is short uh, and you come to church in in, uh, in a suit. Women make sure your hair is long and come to church in a dress. <laughs> you know, that was the sixties generation of many legalistic churches. And heaven help you if you broke those rules. You know. Uh, there were times when you'd be turned away from the door because you weren't dressed right. You know, my mom, when she came to my wedding and she came to church to go to, to go to church, she goes, what should I wear to church? And I go, I don't care. She goes, be very careful, I'll come in jeans. I'm going, nobody, you won't be the only one. You know, But she was so used to legalistic churches that would not even let her in the door if she was wearing a pants suit, not just, not just jeans, but if she came in with a beautiful you know, cut for women, pantsuit with, with blouse, she would not have been allowed in the, the church because of the church that she grew up in. And you look at the Bible and go, where do they come up with these rules? We want to keep our rules, what God says is important. Now, if God has convinced you that you should not be doing something, then it's wrong for you to do it. If not, don't worry about it. Now, this is very interesting because God has some rules in the Bible that are very important. Honor the Sabbath. This country has changed from that in the past. Uh, Most people in this room are probably old enough to remember when you couldn't do a thing on Sunday. Uh, You could go to the hospital, you could have the fire department come out, would not find a restaurant open, would not find a grocery store open. Why? Because the Sabbath was being honored. Well, technically, the first day of the week was being honored in this country. And we did not work. Where are we now? There's not even a recognition that it's a special day at all. And I, I think that's a sad thing because we have people that are automatically working. You know, I know people that they go, well, I'm not going to work on the Sabbath, but I'm going to go to a restaurant. And I've looked at them going, okay, so you're not going to work, but you're going to make somebody else work. Because you want to honor the Sabbath doesn't compute to me if you're going to be that strict about it then you need to be strict about it like the Jews were. were. But this is where our laws come into effect how consistent is the laws and the rules that we're going to follow going to be? We are under God's grace which means that we have liberty to do whatever we have liberty to do with. Now what does liberty mean? Does that mean I can do anything I want at all? No, I still have a representation for God. Now the question is, and many people have asked me me various things over time, is it okay if I do such and such? I'm going to leave that such and such out there for you to put in your blank. And my answer is always the same thing. For you, probably not, because you're already questioning whether you can do it. If you're questioning whether you can do something or not, you don't have the liberty and the freedom to do it. You know, I know that's hard to understand, but you know, that, that's something you have to understand. God is working on you in that area for some reason. And if he's working on you in that area, then it is wrong for you. We're told in the scriptures, work out your salvation with fear and trembling. Does that mean I get work out my heaven or hell? No, that comes from Jesus Christ. How do I live my sanctification is something that is going to be worked out over time. There are things that I can do that some other people can't do. There are some things that people can do that I can't do. Why? Because God has convicted me that they're wrong. Can I judge everybody else who's doing those things? No, that's between them and God. Should they be judging me for my freedoms? No, that's between me and God. And this is very important that we look at each other and we build each other up and we edify each other up. Because what ends up happening is if I place my standards on other people, I can't even meet my own standards to begin with and then I'm going to be disappointed that other people don't meet my standards that I can't meet. And what do we end up doing? We all get mad at each other because nobody's meeting anybody's standards. Instead of saying, you stand and fall before God. When I start putting standards on other people, I get irritated by other people. If I have no expectations of somebody, how irritated do I get at them? I really don't care what they do. Now, when I'm driving, I have expectations that people know how to drive, so I get very irritated when I drive because so many people don't know how to drive, at least not to my expectation. You know, So what is our expectation for people will drive how much we can be irritated or not irritated by them? So if our expectation is they're gonna live and fall before God, their master, I should be then able to work and walk with people in a great freedom, because it doesn't matter what they do. And I'm not perfect in that, believe me, I'm not perfect in that, and none of us are, but what if we got there? What if we really got to the place where we recognize that this, that each individual needs to live and fall before God and not me? Whatever they're allowed to do, and walk in that. How much freedom would there be in the Church of Christ Christ for that to happen? How much love would there be for one another? Because we wouldn't be getting irritated with each other. And we'd be able to lift each other up. Now, we all do it. Don't get me wrong. I'm not speaking to anybody. It's just I do it, and I know that I do it. I have expectations. And I get irritated when my expectations aren't met. And everybody else does. And I'm sure I irritate people because they, I don't meet their expectations. You know, in many senses, I love teaching. That's my part of pastoring that I love. The actual knocking on doors, calling and visiting and, 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 and all of that, that's hard for me. And I've already been told I don't meet that need for some people. And when I'm told, I try to, I try to meet that need better for them. But it's one of those things that are out there. How are we reaching to people How much love do we have to to show people? God wants to meet us where we're at. And you know, think about how he looks at us. For God so loved the world that he gave his only begotten son, and when did he give Jesus? When we were his enemy. How many of us would love somebody that's an enemy? Not just somebody we didn't like, but somebody who is actively disobeying any of my expectations and my desires, and would I go out and die for them? No, I'd probably go getting what they deserve. Would I try to even help them? Hopefully, where I'm at in my life now, I might think about helping them. But no, in general, it's like, okay, they're getting what they deserve, let them just suffer and and wallow around in the mud a little bit. That was not God's attitude toward us. He loves us so much that while we were as active enemies against Him, He died for us. Jesus is sitting in a room with active enemies. <laughs> and he heals this man. Knowing that they were going to have a problem with him healing on the Sabbath. And in one of the other events, they told him, well, there's six days, and they remember last week we talked about it, they said there were six days to work. Why are you choosing the Sabbath day to do it? And they didn't really address Jesus. They addressed the person who was healed. As if it was their fault that they got healed on the Sabbath by Jesus. Now, it's an amazing thing that when people are actively against you, sometimes they won't even attack you. They'll attack those that are being helped by you. And we'll see this oftentimes in the church. The church will help somebody, and then they'll attack that person that's being helped, like, oh, why would the church do that? You know, how come? And, you know, why not go after the people who made the decision to help? Because they know they're not going to get anywhere with that person. They knew they weren't going to get anywhere with Jesus because they kept losing every battle they talked with them. You know, Jesus was the uh, Perry Mason of his day. He hadn't lost a battle. <laughs> Didn't lose a case, all right? Uh, and so they were afraid of him. He was the um, Daniel Webster uh, of, of, of that day. Didn't lose a case. People were afraid. There were, there were times when people actually just gave up the trial because they found out who the defense attorney was or the prosecuting attorney and said, no, nope. <laughs> he hasn't lost a case. We're not going against him what the scribes and Pharisees were doing to Jesus. He keeps besting us in in words every time we come against him, so we'll just attack those that he's helping. Be aware that sometimes that will happen in our lives. When you're being taught, you're being raised up, you're, you're learning, you're teaching, you teach your children to be obedient to God, and then watch your children get attacked by the world, the education system, everywhere around them to try to tear them away from what you're doing. Satan knows sometimes he can't get the one who's been taught well, but he can get the one who's being taught. We need to be aware that we need to be careful. How much do we truly believe God's Word? And these men looked at Jesus and he just asked them a simple question, which of you, having a donkey or or ox that falls in a pit, would get up and help that animal? What was he saying? You'd help your animal. This is a human being. Human beings made in the image of God are much more important than anything else. Now this is something that's really being attacked in our world. In our world, the idea that humans are important is totally foreign to most of the world. Why? Well, very simple. They believe in evolution. If we are just an evolved animal, then we're no important, no more important than any other animal, no more important than the animal that we're going to become from the world's point of view. And a matter of fact, there are so many humans and we're destroying other animals that we are actually the problem and not, and not the solution for those poor little animals that whose territory are being destroyed by humans. What does that do for, for us? It takes us from being important because God created us in his image and all life is important to me and, well, they're just humans. They're not, they're not more, any more important than anything else. We need to understand what's happening in our world. The further our world gets away from the truth of God, the worse things get. We're seeing people in today's world, you know, one of the biggest problems that will affect this age group in this church is euthanasia. When you get so old and you get so sick that your kids say, well, you might as well kill them because they're eating into our inheritance. And the laws in some of the states allow for that to happen. Thankfully, Arizona is not one of those. And there's not a whole lot of them yet in America. But then you start saying that people are not important and valuable, you start doing all kinds of crazy things to people. This is where you get into insurance companies saying, well, they're too old to spend this much money on them. We're not going to spend this much money to keep them alive because they've only got another five to ten years to live, so who cares that they're alive because they're not that important. This is the rules that happen when you say that people are not made in the image of God. This is why people can abortion is such a big issue. The murder of a young child that is in the mother's womb is the killing of something made in God's image. The abuse of a child that's born to the point of great pain, broken bones, or even death is destroying something made in the image of God. Do we fully understand what happens when we really understand that we are created in God's image? How that impacts every aspect of our life. How do we care for the poor, the homeless, the needy? How do we care for the person who's in pain? Well, if we're looking at them they're part of the image of God, it should break our heart. Now, I understand there's plenty of people faking it and all that other stuff, and that makes it difficult to decide who to help and who not to help. But does our heart reach out to touch people? One of the things that is hard for us is because we see so much pain and death and suffering in front of us all the time, through our TV shows and our movies and the books we read, we are bombarded with evil, and it has desensitized us to seeing evil around us. We need to be very careful what we feed into our mind because it is so easy to get jaded. Why do all these people go out and commit crimes and murders and 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 all of this. Well, it's multiple. Number one, they don't see people in the image of God. They have been told that they're just evolved animals, so they're just out there hunting. Doesn't matter to them. I'm just killing some animals that don't, that are too weak to deserve to live. They play games where they get to shoot everything, and nothing happens to the people that get shot. Matter of fact, you get points for shooting people, and the more you shoot, the better points you get. You know, all of these things add up to people who are willing to just go out and. Shoot people. And then, while well, I'm done shooting them, I don't want to go to prison, so I'm going to shoot myself because I'm, no, I'm not that important either. Because most of those guys end up shooting themselves because of it. Why? Because they don't understand that they're made in the image of God and everybody else is made in the image of God. How important is knowing God's Word and knowing truth? And we want you to get into this because Jesus was telling them you all would do this, I'm just helping somebody made in the image of God. I'm helping somebody that's more important than an animal that you would rescue and you're not doing it. Jesus was criticizing these religious leaders. You guys think you're so great. You guys think you're so following the law. And the problem was they followed the letter of the law and they followed the letter of the the writings about the laws. But you know, the one thing they did not follow was the spirit of the law. And this is where lawyers always get, get wrapped up. They get into, well, this is what it says. You know, I, I had one time when I got a ticket and a lawyer talked to me and I gave him my testimony and he goes, okay, thank you. And he goes, I'll, I'll, go, I'll go to traffic court for you. you. You don't show up. And I'm going, why? He goes, because you'll tell the truth. And I'm going, okay. He got me off the ticket for somehow. I don't know how he did. I don't know because I wasn't there, but I would have told him what happened. I ran the red light. Granted, the red light was usually a flashing yellow light and I didn't see a red light. But, and I'm sure that was how he got me off. But I know that I ran a red light. Uh, But, you know, what do lawyers do? They twist everything. They twist everything. How do we sometimes get around things? Well, you know, it wasn't actually said that I couldn't do that. I didn't find anything the Bible said I couldn't, even though I knew it was wrong, but I couldn't find anything the Bible said not to, so I went ahead and did it. That's the way the scribes and Pharisees were. It didn't say, and then they added all kinds of stuff into it. We need to be careful about our attitude toward God and about our attitude one to another. We are made in the image of God. Even those who are fallen and not saved or have the image of God put into them, they are creative, they're, they're intuitive, they know right from wrong because of the conscience God put into them. They may have seared it up so they don't know it anymore or feel it anymore, but they're created in the image of God and they are important. We need to reach out to people and touch their lives and say, you are important, God loves you. And because God loves you, I am going to try to love you. I probably wouldn't say try to love them in that, but I will love you. (laughs) But in reality, we know we're trying to love them. Uh, But we need to be able to understand that we are to reach out to people. Jesus did this, and he called out their hypocrisy. This is a child of God. This is a member of the family of Judaism in this case. And you're not willing to help them. Who are we willing to help? Who are we not willing to help? Are we ready to reach out to do the best we can for people? Are we ready to at least love one another in the church? You know, now, thankfully, I'm not trying to get critical because this church generally loves one another as far as I can tell. I mean, you, know, you probably don't love every single person in the church, and not everybody doesn't feel completely loved, but you know, this church has come a long ways in nine years. <laughs> You know, I've, I've told people this church was really fun. Nine years ago when I first started here, I say amen, and people were out the door before I could get to the back door. <laughs> Nowadays, I can get to the back door and nobody wants to leave, <laughs> which is good. I like that. You know, we generally tend to like each other in this church and want to minister to one another. But you know, what, what God is putting on my heart, I don't know. Maybe we're going to have an explosion of peak growth in this church, and you know what, then we're going to have people you might not like coming to church. We need to love them anyway. At least be friendly and tolerating a number of them. But we need to have that happen because I want to see this church grow. And to see this church grow may mean that we're getting people in here who aren't the people that we normally would like to be around. And I don't know who the worst person in town is, but I'd like to see them come to church. Why? Because they need God. And the other thing was, we need to be challenged to love somebody that nobody likes. <laughs> you know, it, is, it is very fun to see this happen. I went to a church where somebody used to purposely invite Christians that looked like bikers with their tattoos and everything in to come to church to see how the p- church was going to treat them. I've always thought about doing something like that. Get somebody in there that just looks like the rough, rough type of person to see how, see how they would be treated. I think we would do pretty good overall. But you know, what is our attitude? How easily do we judge somebody by the way they look, the way they act? Do we really realize they are somebody in need of God or potential need of God? We need to be able to be there for them and be able to reach out. Lord, we just thank you for the day today, Lord. We ask you to teach us to love one another. Teach us to see each person after the Spirit of God and to want to reach out and touch them, and to be an example of your love to all people. Lord, if there's anybody listening online that doesn't know you, we ask today they will recognize that they are a sinner and they need you, that they will confess that they need you, and that they will seek a Christian brother or sister to tell about and learn and grow for you. And we just thank you in Jesus' name. Amen. Listening friends, where will you be when you die? We ask this question of a lot of people oftentimes, and the biggest answer we'll get is I hope I will be in heaven. If hope is your answer, you don't know God, and that's a problem. We all have sinned and come short of the glory of God. The wages of the sin is death, but the gift of God is eternal life. If you do not know for sure that you're going to go into heaven, please today make your decision to follow Him. It is simply just ask him, Lord, I am a sinner. Please come into my life and save me and make him your Lord. If you've said that prayer, let us know so that we can send you a new believers packet. You can contact us at office at chloridebaptistchurch.com or even pastor at chloridebaptistchurch.com or you can just send us a regular letter at chloridebaptistchurch, P.O. Box 65, Chloride, Arizona. 86431. Thank you very much for listening and have a wonderful day.